This week's guest is Andrew Daw. Originally born and raised in Newfoundland and now living in Toronto, we talk with Andrew about his start in the industry, working in security, and then eventually moving behind the bar, how he got his current job as a rep for Signal Hill Whiskey and Crystal Head Vodka. We discuss what having celebrity owner Dan Aykroyd is like for the brand and how involved he is with the products. We talk about what it takes to sell a new spirit like Signal Hill in today's marketplace. And then we finally finish off the conversation talking about our mutual admiration of pro wrestling, especially the 80s and 90s era, back when pro wrestling was real. <laughs> Andrew is a great guest, very engaging, and you're going to love his story. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the first industry podcast recording of the new year, 2022. We are recording this on the 2nd of January. My name is Kip Saunders. Dan Soretta is with me, in case this is your first time tuning in. Yeah, we made it through another fucking year of this. Yeah, that's uh, that zipped by pretty fast. It was like Groundhog Day all year long. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> it was easy. Yeah, how how was your uh, Christmas and New Year's? It was all right. A lot of drinking. Um, yeah, that's about all I got to say about it. A lot of drinking. Watched a lot of basketball. Nice. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Yeah, and then I was here on New Year's Eve. So yeah, I remember you showing up, and then next thing I remember, I woke up in the morning on the recliner at like yeah, seven o'clock in the morning. That's how I like the roofie. Uh, I'm, an, I'm an adult, <laughs> you know. <laughs> in moderation. Yeah, <laughs> as always. Yeah. Uh, as of today, I just uh, read that uh, our illustrious premier is in a cabinet meeting today to discuss shutting down indoor dining once again for Ontario. So that's exciting news for us. <laughs> mm-hmm. Also, they can keep the kids in school. Yeah. Yeah. That's that good. makes a lot of that's sense. Good. But uh, whatever. I, I, did, I didn't see any notice about any financial aid. So. Well, come on, Don Ford. You know, it yeah. just kind of goes by the whim. Whatever, so, whatever fits, fits the bill for him. And it sounds like we're off to another fantastic start in 2022. Oh, yes. Yep. Same as 2021. And 2021. <laughs> Fuck me. All right. Well, enough of that. On that happy note, yes. I'm looking forward to a prosperous new year, at least on the industry podcast, because once again, we have a great guest for you. Andrew Dawes is going to be joining us in just a minute. Yeah, if you like the show, then you should be subscribing to it. That's easy to do. Mm-hmm. Just hit the subscribe button. If you want to post a rating or review, that helps us as well. Uh, and we should also say that if you wish to be a guest on the Industry Podcast, the easiest way to do that would be to email us at info at the industrypodcast.club or to DM us directly at the Industry Podcast on Instagram. Yeah, make sure you check out the archives of the show as well, as this is episode number 95. 95, yeah. And we have something, uh, we have a bit of a special uh, episode lined up for episode 100, so oh. you want to stay tuned for that. Uh, yeah, you probably don't even know about it. No, uh, you probably <laughs> told me. I'm sure I was bombed when you told me. So it's, it's happening. Yeah. Zach Hanna made it through a year with us as well, somehow. Yeah. He's still doing it. So at ZachHanna.co, as always, for the amazing artwork he does for us. And you should check him out. Yeah, that it's, also takes you to his website as well, which is Zach, Z-A-K-H-A-N-N-A-H dot C-O. He's doing big things. So check him out. Okay, enough about us and our complaints and gripes. Yes. <laughs> Let's bring in our guest, Andrew Daw. How you doing, Andrew? I couldn't be better, my friends. Thank you very much for having me here today. Oh, thanks for doing yeah, it. Thanks for being on the show. So we mentioned this a couple weeks ago on the podcast <laughs> that Andrew is like uh, immediately become our all-time favorite guest, without, and we haven't even started the interview yet, because he sent us a care package Full of booze, which yes. is the easiest way to our hearts, and some t-shirts. <laughs> what else was in there? Glassware. Yeah, was these awesome. Pens. 
Oh, yeah. So those are solid pens, too. Absolutely. The crystal head pens. Yes. Yeah, so They write very smoothly, actually. <laughs> there you very, go. I'm very, very happy with these. Actually. Nobody even knew you knew how to write. Yes. Yeah, so I can, I can <laughs> sign all those checks. <laughs> <laughs> to get this started, Andrew is the brand ambassador for Crystal Head Vodka and Signal Hill Whiskey, both of which he sent us samples of. So we're, we we have already sampled the Signal Hill. It was It's delicious, but we're going to drink a little bit more of that today. We'd like to get start the podcast off with a little shot of Crystal Head Vodka out of these you can't see it, but they are the classic skull glassware, skull-shaped glassware. Yes. So, cheers to you, Andrew. Cheers. Thanks again. Thanks very much. Cheers, lads. Ah, uh, yeah, awesome. So, let's talk about that. Get the job done. Yeah, <laughs> that's a good way to start. Uh, let's talk a little bit about how, I mean, I know you had a, like a long career in the service industry before you became a brand ambassador, and we can certainly go back and touch on that. But I'm sort of interested in talking about how you kind of got into the whole the, being a brand ambassador, why it was Crystal Head. If you want to just sort of tell us that story. Yeah, absolutely. I Honestly, I feel very lucky because I just got a phone call one day. Mm-hmm. You know, I moved here to Toronto about three and a half years ago with my girlfriend uh, from St. John's Newfoundland. And before I moved here, I used to do a lot of work for my, I, a lot of my friends were brand ambassadors and territory managers, whatever you want to call them. There's a million different roles and titles for this right. kind of job. And they, I, oftentimes they would get me to come and do presentations, do cocktail demonstrations, do things along those lines. So I always wanted to do something along uh, in the space. And then uh, when I moved here in 2018, that, that was the goal was to try to get a job like this. And honestly, I was striking out left, right, and center. I interviewed for a couple of different jobs. I interviewed for uh, a Jack Daniels role, a tequila role with them as well, too, and a Hendrix role with PMA. And uh, unfortunately, that didn't work out so well. I did a few competitions. But then all of a sudden, one day, I, was, uh, I, just, I got a phone call for some people I, was working with, I used to work with back home in Newfoundland. And I only literally worked with them for maybe two or three times. They used to, uh, they used to be managers themselves for PMA, and uh, they used to be our old distribution for Chris Led in Newfoundland. And they just called me one day and said, there, hey, what are you up to these days? I'm here with the uh, top people for Crystal Head Vodka. They're, uh, they, they're looking for a new rep in Toronto. And uh, obviously, Crystal Head Vodka and Signal Hill Whiskey come from Newfoundland, which is fantastic. And they're, they're looking for someone who, who are hoping to be from Newfoundland and that were living in Toronto. So uh, my friends recommended me. And next thing you knew, I got a phone call. And I went in for the interview. And two or three conversations later, I had the job. Awesome. <laughs> I, I just got very lucky by it, to be honest with you. Right. Yeah. Well, um, so Signal Hill, and I, let's talk a little bit about Signal Hill as well. Is Signal Hill and Crystal Head owned by the same company or are they just rep by the same company? Uh, they're owned by two different companies, two different parent companies, but those parent companies are owned by the same individuals, just in different oh. ratios. Gotcha. So like Crystal Head Vodka is done through a parent company called Globe Field Incorporated. Their main owner is Dan Aykroyd, is our creator and main owner for Crystal Head Vodka. My immediate boss is Jonathan Hemi. Uh, he's one of the top people for Globefield as well. And then Signal Hill Whiskey is done through a parent company called Signal Hill Spirits. But the only SKUs that they represent is Signal Hill. Just like with Globefield, the only SKUs that they represent is Crystal Head Vodka. Right. So on my paycheck, it says Crystal Head. Both companies operate on the same office, have the same ownership, just different ratios. And I represent both brands. Oh, interesting. I hope that I hope that's clear. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's that, that, that makes sense. I was not aware of Signal Hill until you sent it to us, actually. And so is it a relatively new brand? Yeah, so Signal Hill came out about the latter half of 2017. Um, okay. So it's only been out just just over four years here. Now mm-hmm. we're about to go into our fifth year. And uh, we really just hit our stride in about 2019. So I'll be honest, even when, before I had this job, I never heard of Signal Hill either. Right. I think I saw it on the shelf one time before, but I never... Um, I never realized, I never, I never knew much about it. And then when I got the job, I said, well, when I got the opportunity, I started doing some research and I started drinking it. 
And just like you guys said in the last episode, I was very, very pleasantly surprised for a Canadian whiskey at $40 to be that damn good. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't, and yeah. It's, it's not hot at all on the back end. Let's, well, we'll try some right now, but uh, just it's one thing that I uh, really like about it. Um, cheers, guys. Cheers. A little signal hill. Cheers. This is this is the high the high point of uh, podcasting. Just people, all they can hear, they can't see us. They're just listening to us drink. <laughs> but yeah, no, it's super sweet. Not at all hot on the back end. Just a really smooth, delicious, flavorful whiskey. I'm a big I fan. I couldn't agree more. Mm. Yeah, it's just made for we we try to make it for the Canadian palate. So you know, a lot of Canadian whiskeys out there are, you know, we know which ones we're talking about. There, they've been out forever. They're a little yeah. bland. That's typical. That's the typical. You know, what's the word I'm looking for here? That's the reputation for Canadian whiskeys in general, for the most yeah. part, the way it used to be, right? They're more bland. They're uses mixers, things along those lines. So with Signal Hill, like it's just a damn good whiskey to enjoy by itself on the rocks in a highball or as I'm drinking it right now in a Boulevardier. I love it in classic. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. That would yeah. be good. Yeah. In a Boulevardier. Yeah. Um, yeah. As you mentioned, it's a little sweeter, so it does tend to mix very well with bitter Italian liqueurs like Campari for Boulevardiers, Paper Plains for the Aperols. Those are two of my go-tos for sure. Yeah, you can see it in yeah. like in like a black Manhattan as well with some, with some Amaro. With yeah. the Averna. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. yeah, it works out really well. I just always have to do a plug for Black Manhattan, greatest cocktail on earth. <laughs> but you are not. the first person that's brought that up to me because I usually suggest a Black Manhattan to everybody, but you're the first person oh, that's see, brought it up to me. It's going. All right. Perfect. It's a damn good drink. It is. It's the best. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about how you sort of got into the industry. You started working in the bar industry back in St. John's. Tell us a little bit about sort of the scene there. I, like, I think for most people who aren't familiar with the area too much or who know a very little bit about it, they're going to think it's probably a lot of pubs. <laughs> yeah, well, there's, def there's you're definitely right on the right track there. Uh, St. John's in Newfoundland is very, it's the most easterly province in North America. It's, you know, most people forget about us in Canada. They think Canada goes from BC to Halifax, but right. <laughs> you know, we, are, we are the last province on the, on the end there. Uh, we have our own time zone and everything. But if you're not familiar with St. John's itself, but we have one particular street, downtown St. John's, called George Street. So it has the most bars per square capita in North America. Uh, <laughs> every single building, you know, I'm, I'm not sure if you guys are familiar with downtown Toronto or not, but it's about half the length of King Street, maybe of King Street West. And mm. it's just all pubs, dance bars, nightclubs, strip clubs, and mostly pubs, like you said earlier, right? We have a yeah. very big Irish british and scottish descendants heritage so you know there's a lot of irish bars back in newfoundland and that's where really i caught my teeth so i think that like you know i got in the industry just like most fellas do when we're 19 years old we mm -hmm. like drinking we started drinking when you know, you know we were 15 16 we like drinking we wanted money i wasn't very good at most other things so i started working at a bar and oddly enough it was funny because it was a very small bar called club bounce i told the story <laughs> on a previous podcast but it's funny like our DJ back then, his name is DJ Flames, and he used to have a big DMX tattoo on his arm, oh, but he nice. couldn't afford to fill in the X. So before every night, he would pencil, he would color it in with a shirt. Right? Amazing. So, <laughs> two of my good buddies were their first bouncers that they ever had when we first turned 19. I used to do a bit of martial arts. Like I had a cup of coffee, doing some Muay Thai. Turned out the guy who owned the bar was in my class. So I got a job there, and then eventually when that place closed down, my buddies moved to what's what's called the Sundance. Now, unfortunately, the Sundance is no more. It closed down there not long ago, but it used to be pretty much the biggest spot in Eastern Canada. It was just massive. It was like a five-club venue. It was huge. Oh, shit. Oh, wow. By, you know, 7 o'clock on Friday night till 3 in the morning, it was jam-packed, you know? And oh, every Saturday and Sunday, we would have the, the sun deck. 
It was one of the biggest patios in St. John's. And back then it was the busiest. Like you couldn't get a spot on that thing any Friday, Saturday or Sunday or any beautiful day on the, on the summer. The nice thing in St. John's too in Newfoundland, if it's just nice weather out, it's in the summer, people love drinking. That's all right. we want to do back home. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. So, and so is, were you bouncing at that place as well? Or had you so moved at, the, at the Sunday, it's, I started off, I, you know, I'm not a very big guy. I, I'm not a very big guy. I was never very intimidating or anything like that. So I actually started off as a bus boy and a bar back there. Okay, gotcha. And my buddy started off as security. And then as it goes on, then eventually I moved over from bar back into security. And then you realize that you don't like getting punched in the face very much. Uh, that's not <laughs> yeah. always that fun. It's fun hitting other people. Yeah, you know, Especially like we have a big sea of red, red shirts, right? And it was funny because we always had the earpiece on. And the earpiece works great two ways. Either A, if you know you got a, a drunken person who won't leave you alone, and you can always just go, oh, I got to get out of here. Hold on, I'm going to call Jetter out of there. Yeah. Or, like I said, I'm not the biggest guy, but if I'm trying to kick someone out or ask someone to leave, they're not that intimidated by me, so they start mouthing off. And the next thing you know, you're like, well, what you don't realize is the entire time we were talking, turn around and there's a sea of 20 red shirts behind you. Right. right? And so those are always be good times, right? So, uh, you <laughs> yeah. know, I, I started doing security there, but then – a couple of my friends worked at a bar down the street, a Mexican restaurant called Mexico La Rosa's. Um, and they used to do margarita Mondays, all that kind of stuff. So they were bartending over there. And then they asked me if I wanted to start with them. And I remember I had the original plan of doing Friday nights there, Saturday nights bouncing, Friday nights bartending, Saturday nights bouncing. And then all of a sudden I started looking at the tips and the money I was getting. I was like, well, I get three beers at the end of Saturday nights of bouncing. Or I make $150 cash plus wages over here and I don't get punched in the face. Yeah. <laughs> what do you think? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's an easy so, call. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So is yeah. there like, we uh, we spent a lot of time talking about like sort of craft cocktail scene on this show. What is there anything like that happening in St. John's or is it more just sort of uh, beers and margaritas type? It, it definitely started. So like uh, the way we always say it is whatever's big here up here on the mainland takes about three to five years to get to Newfoundland. Yeah. So like when I was working back then, like I started working downtown in 2000, 2007 when I was 20 years old. I, actually, when I, 2006 when I first turned 19. And back then it was definitely a lot more of just, you know, Jameson's, Weiser's, Bears, Pines, stuff like that, right? Vodka sodas, things like that. But about about five years ago or so is when the cocktail scene started really, five to seven years ago, it started happening in St. John's. And like, you know, there's a few of us bartenders that were back there that used to always trade positions whenever you do a cocktail competition. And honestly, like, I had no idea about that kind of stuff. I used to work in pubs, mostly. You know, I worked at Mexico La Roses. We did frozen margaritas, frozen daiquiris. Right. You know, it wasn't real bartending back then. You just got to, we'd have a margarita Monday and it'd be you know, literally 50 chits up. Right. And it'd be slammed. And that's what, that's what bartending was back then. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden you move into the more higher end spots. You start learning. But I, I moved over to a um, to a local microbrewery there. And that was a very big tourist destination. But we made all of our own beer. So like the, the biggest, co- the most complicated cocktail I would get ever was like maybe a, ma- a, a martini or a Long Island iced tea or a Singapore sling. Those mm-hmm. would be the type of cocktails we would get. It'd be mostly pints. But um, yeah. Eventually, after a while, I'm probably jumping ahead of here a little bit. I love talking. But uh, eventually, we just jumped. We started doing cocktail competitions. I remember one of my buddies. He was and this, for, sorry uh, to interrupt. This is when you're still in Newfoundland? Yeah, yeah still in Newfoundland. Yeah. 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 So, okay. this is, so, you know, I started bouncing in like 2006, 2007. I started bartending probably about 2008, 2009-ish, around that area. And then it wasn't – we weren't really taking it seriously. Again, bartending back then, working in restaurants, I'm sure the same way up here. Like, I'm not sure what the age difference between us, but I'm 34. I don't think there was too, too much of an age difference between us. 
But that, that's nice of you to say. You, know, <laughs> you, you, you guys, the viewers who can't see what I see. <laughs> but uh, you know, bartending back then was just a way to make money to go drink on the weekends or go go out, pay yeah. for pay for a few things. Like it was never meant to be a real job. It was because I, I failed out of school three times and I wasn't good at <laughs> most schools. Most schooling. I loved hockey. I wasn't that great of an athlete though, but I loved hockey and loved shinny hockey and stuff like that. But honestly, bartending was just a way to pay the bills and have some money. Mm-hmm. And, and then a, after a while, I remember what's that? And you're a goalie as well, right? Yeah, I'm a goalie as well. So I've been a goalie my whole life and a career backup goalie. I should say that much really. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Cause you gotta be, a, I, you gotta be a little bit wild though, to be a goalie though. To want to be stopping a hard frozen puck when it's going flying out your head. That's something else. Well, it's not bad, but there's a lot less skating involved too. So yeah. you know, like, <laughs> I know you only see me from the front, like the chest up, but you know, uh, I'm called like a bag of milk here. You know, I've like, been the most premier athlete. I'm no Tony Nisi or anything like that. You know what I mean? Uh, and um, yeah, so you, you get stuck in it. But a uh, mom always told me, like, I always thought because I wasn't the best athlete, but mom always told me because whenever play when we were really young, everyone wants to take a turn next. But when it came down to tournaments or anything like that, no one wanted to go in. So mm. eventually I would go in there. Now, I also had asthma and I was a terrible athlete, so I couldn't really skate very well. So <laughs> I stayed in this. And uh, yeah, it took me a little further. So there you go. Nice. We ended so up being we- uh, Canada Cup champions in 97. When we were oh, there you go. Wow. <laughs> so when you got into sort of doing the competitions, I, I think it, you, you said that one of them was a Caesar competition. Is that right? Or did I yeah, that so I, the first... No, no. The first one I ever did was, uh, so I did the Caesar, uh, it was done by PMA was the ones who organized and it was Matsuko Mato in, in coordination with them. And it was best Caesar St. John's competition. And honestly, I think the rep was just desperate for attendees, right? Like, you know, I, I know now on the other side of things, how hard it is for people to actually keep the word when they promise you they're going to join, they're going to do something for you. They're going to do a participation and they always flake out at the last minute. So right. I think that's what it was. And, uh, he was just, he was friends with my owner and asked if I'd be interested in doing uh, Caesar competition. And I'll be honest, I hate Caesars. Yeah. I do not like tomato juice. I don't like tomato juice, so I can't <laughs> drink them. But I could always know when I was serving because I, did, I used to do a lot of brunch chips. I was a brunch bartender for about a year straight. So you saw a lot of mimosas and you saw a lot of Caesars. So I could mm-hmm. always tell when people don't like my Caesar or not. Yeah. So I said, Shaggy, what's the worst that's going to happen? And I went to the competition. And I, honestly, there were six of us and top three prizes paid out. Ooh. Top prize was a free trip to Toronto for the Nationals and $500. Third, second prize was $300 and third prize was $150. So I looked at myself, I was like, I got a 50, 50 chance here, at least walking away with some money. Yeah. <laughs> honestly, I never even took the day off work. I just, I worked and I took a 15 minute break, ran down to the bar down the street, did my presentation, <laughs> had someone cover the bar for me and I got back and I'm coming second. There you and go. I lost by half of a point because the guy who beat me had a, had a lobster claw on his and yeah, they yeah. gave it him for originality. But it was funny because he ended up going to Toronto a little later for the competition. His name is Mikey and uh, Mikey Shepherd. He's a great guy. Still, bar- still bartender in St. John's, one of the top bartenders there. I was like, Mikey, so how did you do? He's like, man, I came dead last. Like, you <laughs> came dead last. He's like the winning one. The winning Caesar had a fully cooked duck, like rotisserie, like on sitting on top of it. He's like, how much does this compete with that? So, you know, we're back in Newfoundland trying to rub two sticks together, to try to get a match, and people in the mainland got a flamethrower over there. Yeah. So uh, that's funny. That's quite an eye opener, though, right? Like, and then it's funny that you say because um, talking about like the three to five year delay between like 
sort of the mainland to getting out there. Like we feel I, very much, I say all the time just here in Kitchener, Waterloo, that there's like a three to five year delay getting from Toronto to here, which, and we're just like an hour away, but for ideas and for like, cause it's still has quite a small town mentality here for yep. like a, any idea that's sort of different to land here. It takes like people, you put something new in Kitchener, Waterloo and they're like, what the fuck is this? Like when I first put the speakeasy in here, some of the reactions were just like, no, no clue what the hell I was doing. What are you talking about? You're not going to advertise where it is. You're not going to, I have to have to give a password to get in. They're like, what the fuck kind of business plan is this? And then I found out when the pandemic hit that they were right. But, <laughs> but nevertheless, I digress. <laughs> but yeah, so I would think even the delay would be even a little bit more. But I guess like if you're talking about like getting out east, like with craft cocktails or something like that, just the notion of like any sort of a craft cocktail place at all is sort of what you're talking about as opposed to like specific ideas in the craft cocktail world. Yeah. Well, like I think you just touched on it too. It's a mentality kind of thing. And that's one thing I've noticed in this particular job because I travel primarily around Ontario. And when I go into these, these smaller communities, which I, I absolutely love because it reminds me of home back home a lot. Like I love Kingston. I, yeah. I haven't had the opportunity to hang out in Kitchener yet, but like, you know, I was recently up north where I was up in like Sudbury, Sault Ste. Marie, North Bay. Like, I really enjoyed those towns there, right? Kingston, mm-hmm. same sort of thing. So I think it's a mentality, a small town kind of mentality thing where they just don't want change. You know, people back home still love, like, you know, obviously they're, we have some local beers back home, like Blue Star, Black Horse, stuff like that. But they don't want, now they're getting into more like the IPAs and the Saisons and those type of beers. But at the end of the day, too, like when I worked at that uh, microbrewery, trying to explain to people that they couldn't get a Coors Light. <laughs> you know, it, takes five, it takes five different explanations like what do you mean you only sell your own beers like yeah we have four beers here and these are the four well i want a Coors Light. i, I hate to tell you about it, but you're not gonna get a Coors Light here right so i don't know like and the cocktail scene really came in but like it's so funny because i'm not sure the exact prices in kitchener for cocktails but, like i remember one of the 13 dollar cocktail days in st john's and people went mad you know all, all of a sudden we had coupe glasses in which we never had before all of a sudden, people were, it was taking 10 to 15 minutes to make a drink. They were trying something new. So God bless them for trying it. Like, you know, there was this one bar that I really like now because the people that run it now are a lot better than people that opened it years ago. I'll just, I'll just leave it at that. Okay. But like when they first opened up, like, and they were introducing like the four ounce, five ounce coupe class, it would take 10 to 15 minutes to get a drink and it would cost $13 plus yeah. tax. And people went mad Yeah, because he's like, what do you mean? It doesn't take two seconds. So it's just interesting now Like you see that up here to in different pockets of Toronto as well. And that's, it's just a mentality change. Yeah, right? we saw that happen in Kitchener as well. Uh, when I was among the first starting to do that sort of smaller drink, more expensive, take some time to do it, exactly this shit that you're talking about. And there was definitely blowback right away. It's just like, what the fuck? Like, I just paid 20 bucks for this, and it was like three ounces. Like, And I get it, but they, like once you sort of peel back the layers and like uh, see how the sausage is made, then you're sort of... Uh, then you realize what goes into making all those drinks, like whether it's labor or prep work or um, or like the ingredients that you had to pay for to make it to pull it off. And then you realize why you're paying that much. But oh, and rent, rent, fucking rent. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no one takes that into God, consideration rent. at all. Yeah. Every time someone no puts about prices, that. yeah, I always point out, go like, think about the rent. They're like, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's right. yeah. Like, I and can make this. Employees. At, yeah, 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 exactly. And they're like, I can make this at home for them. I'm like, well, you probably should then. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's funny. You know, uh, it, no, go ahead. I was just going to say with the right thing, like, you know, 
we're about to go. I don't want to get too political, but like as of yesterday, we just raised minimum wage to fifteen dollars. Yes, it went for and server wage was twelve twenty or twelve forty four yep. or something like that. So it was under your typical minimum wage. Why do you expect people like people? What do you think is going to happen to the price points? Exactly, of, menus, of cocktails, of food, everything has to go up. If all of a sudden you have ten employees there, everyone's making an extra three dollars per hour or two fifty an hour. That's a lot of money in the at the end of the year. Yep. So prices are going to are going to end up going up. Yep, they're hundred yeah, percent. It's great that the, that the wage went up. It's great yeah. that people are now going to be able to get a liberal wage, but you know we got to pay for that too. That's it exactly. It gets transferred on the guest, and I, and I agree with you too. It's about time that like the minimum wage went up, especially for servers. But at the end of the day, the small business owner can't pay for that. Somebody else is paying for it, and it's the guest. So. Get ready. <laughs> yeah, get ready is right. Yeah. <laughs> I was just going to say, don't be too shocked when your Manhattan is now $22 instead of you know, $18 or exactly. $15 instead of $11. You know what I, I mean? know. I know. And I'm like, one of my bars is a wine bar and I can't, I'm already thinking about like, fuck man, people are already bitching about how much they have to spend for, pay for wine when they go out, right? And it's just like, whew, you don't even know yet. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's, it's tough. Yeah. Oh, what are you going to do? Just, uh, I'm going to start taking my real estate license. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I think so everybody in the service, service industry has thought about that at some point or not. Oh, yeah. I was, as we said this on the show before, but like when I was growing up in the industry, it was always like you got tired of being in the service industry. You went to teacher's college and now it's, they, now it's real estate. They're like yep. every real estate is riddled with former servers and bartenders. <laughs> Hey, we know how to sell. We yeah, know how to sell. exactly. I've about it before. I won't lie. <laughs> sure. Um, okay, so let's talk a little bit more about the job that you're doing now. So you come to Toronto, you get the you get the gig doing the brand ambassador work for Crystal Head. So I guess most people just want to know what's it like hanging out with Dan Aykroyd. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, it's pretty fun. I got to say, like I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to try to pretend that we're best buddies or anything like no, that. No, but, no. But uh, Dan does come around the office maybe. Two or three times a year, and so I've had the opportunity to hang out with him maybe, Christ, maybe four or five times now, something along those lines. And it's always it's always an interest. I always try to find like a picture story when I know he's coming to the office and ask him about it. So like the first time I met him, I asked him about how he got uh, the Tragically Hip on Saturday Night Live. Like how hard was that? It's like man, he's Tragically Hip, my favorite band, mm-hmm. and they're they're from Kingston, just like he is. So it's like, how hard was it to convince Lauren Michaels to get the Tragically Hip on? And he's like, oh, it wasn't that hard at all. I'm like. Last time he was around, I had I found a picture of him, Jim Carrey, and Paul McCartney all singing on stage together. <laughs> what the hell is happening here? Yeah. Like, oh, that was the Rolling Stones Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction ceremony. And me and Paul and Jim, we just started to get on stage and sing a song together. I'm just like, very different <laughs> lives, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's lived a pretty crazy life when you consider going back to like the like late 60s, early 70s when Saturday Live started. And like, yeah. he, he must have just a bit like a million crazy tales. Well, he knows everybody. Like, you know, he was good buddies with Eddie Murphy as well back in the day. My girlfriend was just telling me she read an article how he was engaged to Carrie Fisher. Right, that's so, right. Like, yeah, <laughs> you know, I just, I'm just always shocked whenever I see these things. Like, man, he's led one hell of an interesting life. So we had the opportunity going up to his place last year for like an eight hour video shoot, and that was a, a cool experience. I gotta say, like, he's got a beautiful property out there. Uh, his family's really nice, and just it was just cool to get to hang out with him for that long. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, Where is this property? Uh, it's it's out by Kingston. It's out oh, okay, Kingston area. right, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So he's still because he used. Uh, so I'm from Kingston originally, and oh, nice. yeah, my parents still live there. So I go back every now and then. But the last time I kind of sort of lived there for a couple months, 
I had come back after school and traveled for a bit, and then I went back there because I was broke. And he had built a bar there in Kingston. We had like kind of like the Blues Brothers car coming out the side of the oh nice uh, oh, the, wow. the building. Okay. Yeah, so I don't know if that's still there. I don't think so, but yeah, I don't it's think crazy. So, no. It's crazy that he stayed in that area. Like most of these Canadian actors who become famous, they end up like sticking around LA. I'm pretty sure he has he has a spot in LA. So like mm. you know, most of COVID, he spent he stayed home. Uh, he didn't leave very much at all. He stayed home. But he does have a place in LA. But his 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 family home in Kingston. So as far as I know, he was born and raised in in Ottawa area. But his family always had a property just outside Kingston. They ended up losing it for a little while, and then when he started making his money, he was he bought it back. Oh, and now every time a property in the area comes for sale, he buys that up as well. Oh wow! And it's just a mess. And he has all these cars from like you know he's these cars from the forties. From the, like he, he was driving around in a Paris Aero from 1941 on the day we were there. And it's, just, cool. it's just a different world, you know what I mean? Like the bar we used was was rebuilt from like 1901 that they had imported in that morning, and his firm hands were there. He had like you know, like 11 different fire pits that had to be lit every morning as well too. And it's just it's just a different life we we lead. That's for damn sure. <laughs> yeah. So does he still like to get into it? Does he still like to hit the booze and? Oh yeah, well he does. He's yeah. not afraid of a drink or two. That's for sure. Now uh, again, I don't know him too well. I'm not out sure. with him at night times or anything like that. But like you know, when he's in the office, he wants to try it. He wants to know. He's involved. He wants oh, to know cool. what's going on with the company. He's not just. A, he's not a figurehead. So that's one thing I right. want to make sure that gets that the point gets crossed. He is our main owner and our creator, but he's not like these figurehead celebrity owners that have nothing to do with. He's in the office. He's in the meetings every once in a while. Oh wow. He's he's done conversations with my direct boss and our owners all the time. Uh, he's reached out to me personally before for, you know, if he goes into an area of Ontario that he's not that happy with the distribution or he doesn't see enough crystal head on, I'll get a phone call or I get an email and I got to go out there in the next few weeks and try to fix yeah. that. And so honestly, he's that's really, that's, he, yeah, that's really involved. That's awesome. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like he, yeah. he messaged yeah. us the other day because an LCBO didn't have enough display of us in a particular area. Wow. So, you know, we went and fixed that. But that's obviously one of the best fixes as well. When you go into a, a new city, like when I was in Kingston, for example, where he lives, it's the easiest style in the world. You go to the bar, like, hey, Dan lives in the area and he wants to come here more often. Right. <laughs> Can you yeah. please just do me a favor, bring in the bottle, let's figure out a deal. The more he brings, the more you do for me, hopefully he'll come by. So, like, you know, I was in yeah. Ottawa not too long ago and went to visit a couple of places that he recommended. And, you know, it's just like, hey, I can't guarantee you Dan will come here, but if you bring us on, there's a probably good chance. And yeah. the buddy didn't really believe me too much. And like two weeks later, he sent me a picture of him and Dan arm in arm together. Oh, yeah, and he's wow. like, holy shit, it happened, right? I'm like, listen, <laughs> I can't guarantee it. I have nothing to do with making sure he goes out there. But if we tell him that we got the job done, he's probably going to go out there. Yeah, and he's definitely probably not going to if you don't bring it in. So, <laughs> Oh, there you go, right? <laughs> Absolutely. His original involvement, I don't know how much you know about this. So if you don't, then just that's fine. But yeah, of course, was he involved in like the actual recipe when they first started distilling the spirit or the recipe? I'm not too, too sure. So like Dan, to backtrack a little bit, Dan was the person who brought in Patron tequila to Canada. Oh, OK. He brought that in. Right. He was at a I don't I can't remember all the details, of the original story, but he was I think he was in either U.S. or Europe. And he was with the people who represented who owned Patron licensing rights over there. And no one had it in Canada. And then, obviously, after a few drinks and a friendly conversation, he had the rights. Mm-hmm. So he brought Patron over to Canada. And then, after a while, he sold it off. But he always liked vodka a lot. 
was always one of his favorite spirits. So him and his business partner, John Alexander, came up with the bottle design because they're based off the legend of the 13 Christmas skulls, which, you know, obviously Steven Spielberg did a uh, Indiana Jones movie about yeah. roughly around the same time. And Dan's actually told me he wishes him and because him and Spielberg are buddies. He kind of wishes that they talked about it and chatted about this a little more because they released a liquor and a movie at the same time based on the same thing. And I kind of I kind of wish I kind of wish they had too because that movie sucks. Maybe he could have helped. Yeah. <laughs> I have to see by as far as I know with the recipe, he I don't know if he had anything to do with the exact recipe, but I'm sure he taste tested a mm. bunch of different this lists. It was like, no, this is the one we want to go with. And this and it was all about purity too. So like that's why we use the Newfoundland water because it's the purest and cleanest water there is in Canada. And also has a hint of salinity and sweetness to it as well, too. And it's just a very clean, clean spirit. So I'm not sure if you're aware or not, but the crystalline vodka contains zero additives whatsoever. And that's basically the whole premise of it all. Mm-hmm. It's, it's the cleanest, purest form of vodka that is on the market because we only have, the only ingredients in any bottle is base grade and Newfoundland water. That's it. We use right. zero fillers, zero additives, no sugars, nothing like that at all. So that's what Dan was really going after. That's the, the major, like, stamp of approval he had on it the most was it had to be added to free so i can tell the admiration you have for him for like how much he's involved in the product still because i know a lot of celebrities who own a quote-unquote own a spirit or like yeah. do commercials for it really often have nothing to do with it so i guess what i'm wondering is why if you since you do have such, so much admiration for him why you felt like you wanted to dump booze all over him that time <laughs> so uh, you're talking about that video there. Uh, you guys saw that uh, that video we did. So that was my di- my first day on the job. <laughs> I didn't even sign the contract yet. Oh so wow! I uh, I was still working on my last job. I gave my notice. Uh, I was managing a bar in Toronto called the Shore Club. Love the place. Great great place on Wellman Street West. But I, I, t- I accept this job and I gave my notice, but I didn't officially sign the contract yet. So. I wasn't supposed to start till January the 6th of 2020, but this was in November of 2019. And they asked me if I could come in and do some videos with Dan. Obviously, I'm tickle pink here. Like, I, sure, I, it's I, like, this job's going to be the best. Great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. right. I was like, yo, I love, I'm not going to lie. Like, I love wearing my suits. I love being dressed up. I, I, I've always wanted this job. So I was very excited. Uh, and I go to the office. It's my first time meeting everybody. Uh, first, they got, you know, maybe like 10 cameras there, a lot of lights. It's my first time. Being a big production kind of thing. Listen, I come from St. John's where I work in pubs and stuff like that. I'm not right. used to this kind of big sure. camera thing. And then Dan's right next to me, and I'm there, and I'm like, holy shit, like, you know, I don't want to mark out too much on him or anything like yeah. that. We, we go from there. And so, obviously, I've been bartending for well over a decade at this point. I've made a million drinks. I've never broken a cocktail shaker in my life. So, it's one of these Boston cocktail shakers. Now, I'm used to the glass on top and tin on bottom. Sure. So I'm not sure how familiar you guys. I know you own a couple of bars, so you're yeah. probably familiar with the tools and all that. And you know that the glass on the tin is easier to open up than it is tin on tin because the tin, yeah. tin on tin seals differently than yeah. the glass on tin. I wasn't used to the tin on tin. Yes, I'm definitely nervous. I'm making these cocktails and I'm trying to open it up and it's not opening up. And I can see like, you know, I can see people looking at me like, is this the... This is the fucking guy we hired. <laughs> like, great. All right. And then it's just getting worse, right? Because you're just getting more and more nervous. And then it's just like, oh. It's God, just not working, yeah. right? So I finally got it. And, uh, you know, okay. So we break and we're about to do another one. And I'm like, no, shag this. I'm switching out to glass on tin. I'm not having this mistake happen again. And I'm like, okay. Not only did I switch it from glass on tin, but I am going to make damn sure that I hit this hard enough that it's going gonna, it's gonna to yeah. separate. <laughs> <laughs> and it's the first time in my entire career that it happened and my glass my hand just went right through the glass 
Sterenpizzas. Oh, fuck. It was a uh, it was a milk based cocktail, so it was one of my favorite drinks I've ever come up with. I call it the I call it the Pistol Pete. It's based on a shaft from uh, Saskatchewan, Alberta area. Basically, it's espresso with rum chata, vodka, Kahlua, uh, freshly grated nutmeg, and orange zest. And it's one of my favorite drinks. And so, obviously, I'm covered in milk. Dan got some milk on him. My hand is cut up in like four or five different spots, so I'm bleeding from the hand too. I'm in front of everybody. I got milk dripping in front of me, and everyone just goes like, "Mm-hmm." And Dan just looks at me, slaps me on the back, and goes, "Nice try, kid. Better luck next time." Way. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sitting there like, "Ah, Christ! I'm getting fired. This is this is over before you even started, right?" <laughs> well, we'll so get one it. of his assistants comes. No, one ahead, of his assistants comes up to me, and she's just like. Hey, uh, Dan really like to look at that drink. Is there any chance you can make it again without breaking any fucking glass in this time? I'm like, <laughs> yeah, let's go. <laughs> we'll get into this conversation a little later, but I believe that's called getting color the hard way. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> it was it was no blade job. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, so here's something I want to talk to you about, just about your job in general. So when you have like an obviously Crystal Head's pretty well established right now, like it stands out on a shelf anyway because of the packaging, and people know mostly most I think most people know the Dan Aykroyd is behind it so it's a little that's a little easier to sell and push now when you got a new spirit like heaven hill there are sorry signal hill heaven hill sorry that's a different whiskey company entirely my bad different <laughs> celebrity too yeah yeah uh signal hill when you have like a new a newer spirit like that what tell me kind of go through it with us about like how you go about selling that to the lcbo to individual bars bartenders what have you what's your approach so honestly, I just try to go the old school way where I just pack my book bag full of bottles and I pick a particular area. I do a bit of research on the bars and restaurants in the area itself. And I just go knocking door to door and see liquid mm-hmm. lips, see who wants to taste it out. Because at the end of the day, like I can sell it to you. I can t- tell you all the information about it. But if you don't like the product, you're not going to bring it on. You're not going to believe in it. So right. it's funny because like it's... Obviously, at the end of the day, people are more interested in whiskey than they are vodka. It's just the facts of it all, right? Especially yeah. most bartenders, you're much more interested in sampling a whiskey or a bourbon, something along a brown spirit than mm. you are a neutral grain spirit like vodka or like a gin or anything like that. So it's a bit easier in that way. Plus, also, I love like I'm not sure are you guys familiar with Signal Hill, the location itself, or what it is. Uh, I did some research about it once you sent me the bottle. But if you want to t- talk to our guests a little bit, or I guess I still call our listeners guests because I've just got guests in the brain from bartending. <laughs> but they're they're guests to the podcast, sure. Yeah, if you could tell our listeners a little bit about the area, sure. Well, I just love Signal Hill because I'm from St. John's. Signal Hill is in a, a is a most famous historic location in one of the most famous historic locations in the entire world. And it happens to be in St. John's, Newfoundland. So it's the location of the first ever transatlantic wireless communication. The first time Morse code was ever sent across the Atlantic Ocean happened in 1901 in Signal Hill. Um, it's just a great place to hike as well. Like I go hiking there in the summertime every day. It's a great place to go whale watching, a great place to go iceberg watching as well too. So it's just beautiful in that regard there. So when you talk about the history of it all, it's just a great selling point because selling alcohol, you're also selling stories. You guys right. know that too. When you're on Bond the Bar, People ask you questions about the particular bottles. You know, every every bottle should have a bit of a story behind it, whether it's the family heritage, whether it be a secret recipe from, you know, 100, 200 years, whether it be the, the water source you use. So, you know, with Signal Hill, it's very historical. There's so many different stories to tell about it. So I always love that. The price point also helps, too. It's only $40. Right. So when you're trying to sell compare a $40 bottle of whiskey, is a lot more approachable and attainable than a 
60, 70 and $80 bottle of vodka. You know what I mean? So in that kind of regard, I also like that. And like I said earlier, it just tastes fantastic. I'm a huge believer in it. And that was one of the great things about it. When I first got this job, obviously I was sampling it. I was like, man, this is actually pretty goddamn good. Like, you know, I'll admit I had, I didn't have the highest expectations. Yes. The bottle is stunningly beautiful. I love the the little detail, the Morse code underneath the single hill. Like this, right. there's a dash of the dots for Marconi. I always love those little intricacies. But at the end of the day, when you see a $40, at least to me, a couple of years ago when I saw it, when you see a $40 bottle of whiskey on the shelf, brand new Canadian whiskey, are you that that excited at first until no. you read about it? You never knew any information about it. You just see a price point. So, you know, when I started drinking, I was like, God damn, this is good stuff. And I enjoyed it in almost every different style of drink I, I made with it, right? So mm. I, I, I fully believed into it. And when you just go knocking, you just see it. You see the, the looks on people's faces. Like I was in Winnipeg in 2020 for the Winnipeg Whiskey Show. It was the only whiskey show I've been a part of so far from, from this company because of COVID has canceled everything else for in-person. And you just see the, the looks on people's faces and they'd be like, oh, okay, great. You know, you're another Canadian whiskey at $40. What can you do, right? And then they have a sip and you just see their eyes light up and like why you're like oh and you know you got them you know you got them you're like yeah come on back and then they bring back their friend they bring back another friend like okay Mm. there's something here yeah and of course you're not gonna you're not gonna please everybody right off the bat you know especially with a fresh bottle right off the bat you know everyone knows about the neck pour is usually not as nice as the rest of the pour Mm -hmm. i must find that signal hill tastes a little bit better after a bit of a it's been aerated a little tiny bit you know right out for for a minute I, i i believe that but you know, you see yourself when you go to bars, you know, hopefully, knock on wood, we're not going to go into another shutdown here soon, but we probably mm-hmm. will. You know, when I go door to door to different bars and restaurants, we try it out and I'll make them an offer. Like, hey, these are the cocktails I suggest. I'm like, oh, okay. I'm like, hey, one of this, you make your version, I'll make, and you make a version out of mine. I'll pay for both of them and we'll see which one you like better. And oh, nice. my paper plane blind challenge hasn't lost yet. No matter oh, what wow. province, no matter what city I go into, if we do a paper plane with their typical recipe with ours versus ours we win every time hmm. I, I also think it's really interesting what you're saying about the price point too because when you we talk about like seeing it on a shelf i think it having the lower price point when, with it being a canadian whiskey oftentimes it almost has the opposite effect where people are like oh it's only 40 bucks it can't be that fucking good right like people have that weird yep. um and and that's been like the best i always say the best thing that like the spirits and wine courses that I took when I was getting really deep into the hole on this stuff, the best thing they taught me was how to buy better booze cheaper and uh, and realizing that price point really, there's so many factors that go into price point and a very like small portion of that is actual quality. I could agree more. I, I, I think that's, I think that's a great point. And you know, when you go to like, when I would go to the liquor store before I had the job, even now, like I spend, I'm, I'm in a liquor store almost every day. Because I'm trying to see so different shelf. <laughs> so, yeah. The only difference is I get to spend company's money, not my yeah, yeah. Shit. half the time. So. Get it. Oh, yeah, that's going to be a great one for research and development, new cocktails. Yeah. Like that bottle. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but that's actually one of the perks of the job. I, I am responsible, responsible for the majority of the cocktails we put out as well, too. So, you know, I, I do pick up some bottles from time to time, but like, no, I always check out shelf placement, facings, like how many bottles across you have. And then that's where you see a lot about the multiple SKUs, how much physical shelf placement they have there with multiple SKUs. It's, mm-hmm. it's always a great thing. But like, you know, when you go to the liquor store, if you're looking to try something out, do you ever want to buy the cheapest thing on the bo- on the shelf? No, never. No, no. no. no that's Hell the thing. Yeah. 
right? But you also, you probably can't afford, like I can't afford to buy the top, top stuff. No, no, you know, no, no, not every day. releases no. that I want to do, right? Yeah. Exactly, not every day. Maybe yeah. every blue moon you can do it, yeah. but you got to justify it. So like I feel with the with the $40 price point in particular for Signal Hill Whiskey is that it's high enough that people know it's premium, but then it's still attainable enough and approachable enough that people can afford it. They don't have to break the bank. They don't have to determine, you know, do, am I going to get this today or am I, I going to be able to eat to get my full tank of gas or am I going to get that bottle of whiskey? Mm-hmm. So it's still approachable enough in that aspect as well, too. So have you found when you're talking to individuals or bars or bartenders, do you find that that's a bit of a roadblock to get across the fact that it is a cheaper price point? Or do you like do you find that that becomes more of an advantage or a disadvantage when you're talking to people about it? So first off, I, I think that there's a bit of a like when we say cheaper here, like it's cheaper. It's, it's less expensive than certain aged ones yeah. that are out there, yeah, certain yeah, aged Canadian whiskeys. Yeah. But again, at the end of the day, this is a three to five year old whiskey here. So. Sure is still a more premium and more expensive than your typical three right. to five year age Canadian whiskeys out there. Uh, I find when I'm selling this to bars and restaurants, people really, they, they gravitate towards it because first and foremost, the bottle looks great. So it looks great on the shelf. Yeah, it does. Yeah. That's one thing. <clears throat> the $40 isn't that, because when you break that down to per ounce, you know, you're looking at what, there's 25.3 ounces per bottle or something, 24.6 ounces per bottle, somewhere around there. So we are under $2 a bottle, like $2 an ounce. It's, it's very approachable, very affordable. But people don't, these days too also, and that's one thing we noticed during COVID too, is actually that maybe you've noticed this with your bar. Have you noticed that people are now leveling up almost? Yes. With yeah. their purchases? Yeah. Yeah. Because they have had all this time, they, they weren't going out, right? So, yeah. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. But, yeah, that's exactly it. They weren't going out. So now when they do go out, and they're also, like, trying to support you more, right? So they're just, like... Oh, fuck. Well, what do you have that's a little bit pricier? Now, the irony behind that is that the, the it, and another how the sausage is made sort of conversation, the top shelf stuff doesn't necessarily make me the most money because we price everything up based on what we pay, what we pay for it. Right. So, yeah. But still, yeah. I know it, I, I know it comes from a good place. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Right. So, like, I just want to send that nice, meaty, you know, price point where it's still elevated enough that people they feel it's an upgrade, right? but it's not too expensive. It's not like, you know, a, fit, a hundred proof, you know, 10 year old Canadian whiskey, something like that, that they're going to be paying $18 an ounce for. Yeah, exactly. Anything like that. So yeah. No, now, uh, you as a bar owner, I got a quick question for you. Sure. Mine. Sure. You as a bar owner, Flip how it. happy are you? <laughs> how happy are you now with this new mandate that we're going to have 20, you guys are going to get 20% off of your, uh, your alcohol purchases through the LCBO. I am. How much of a game changer is that? It not Well, I'll be honest with you. Uh, I think it's great that they're doing something for us. Now, when you talk about it being a game changer, I also feel like it's the exact same time that they're like, okay, but you also got to close at 10. So, <laughs> or, 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 or and also minimum yeah. wage is going up. Too. Minimum so wage is going up. So all this stuff is like, is it helpful? Of course. But it's like the way I was talking about it the other day, because they kind of announced it sort of around the same time that he brought the hours back. Well, my one, the speakeasy, we don't get busy till 11. So having to right. do last call at 10, it's great that I can get 20% off the booze, but I also can't sell it. Exactly. Right. So, so it's a bit of a double-edged sword, but it's, I mean, I'd rather have it than not have it. Let's just look at it that way. Absolutely. And it's about time. It's a, it's a step in the right direction. And now hopefully they can't tr- take this back. 
Yeah, you know I, I mean? think that's been wrong. So I agree. Like a lot of those things, uh, including with the off sales and stuff like that, once you've let the genie out of the bottle, they can't stuff it back in. Like they said to be off sales permanent, I think. Yeah, right? see, that's what I'm saying. Like, yeah. yeah. So, and it's like, this, these are prohibition-based laws, anyways. It was it's, they've been, it's been a long time coming for them to change here, right? So, well, yeah, uh, they've already been in place uh, for 130 years. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Nothing's changed. <laughs> Nothing's changed. <Yeah. laughs> All right, Andrew. Before we let you get out of here, we're going to toast another uh, Signal Hill with you because it is fucking good. I also noticed <laughs> that I'm looking at the bottle now that someone, some uh, publication has given it 94 points for people who care about point systems, for any listeners. I don't know how you feel about point systems. They're basically one guy's opinion. That being said, it does help you if you have no knowledge and you're like looking between one and another. And it certainly doesn't help. I, I'm, I'm assuming it helps move the product in the LCBO at least. Well, we, we wouldn't put it on if we didn't have right. it. You know I mean? <laughs> no, we put it on if it was 42. <laughs> yeah, if, if, if the numbers were reversed and it was a 49 yeah. score, no one's, put, no one's putting that on. It's like years ago, I was doing well with pro lines, and people were like, man, you keep posting your winnings. Like, hey, you don't see all the losers. That's yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not as proud of those. Uh, well, first of all, yeah, cheers exactly. to Signal cheers. Hill. Cheers, guys. And we, uh, we should also, before we let you get out of here, talk a little wrestling. Of course, I was waiting for this Yes. Uh, We had Brian Simpson. Do you know Brian Simpson? Yeah, I do, yeah. Yeah, yeah, okay. I I can't say he's a good, good buddy of mine, but he's a a good buddy of mine. Mm. Yeah. So he was the last guy. That's the beautiful thing about this industry. You start learning, you know everyone, right, before you know it. Like, yeah. It's crazy how a lot of small, like, you know, the downtown area in Toronto alone is 3.5 million or something like that. And Mm. apparently everyone who represents whiskey lives in the same like five block community (laughs) it's crazy like like i don't know if you know like uh ray daniels from jim beam or cameron miller from mccallan but like two of the two of the guys like my my neighbors building over bry's only a couple not too far away either so oh nice we we see each other from time to time it's always nice so he was the last guy that we had on the show that is uh, also a wrestling fan. So we yeah. did want to talk a little with you. Uh, so he was telling us, so what kind of what kind of pro wrestling do you like to watch? Basically, I'll, I'll give you a heads up on what Dan and I do. We have a bunch of drinks while we talk to our guests on the podcast. And then we go down to his basement and watch a bunch of wrestling from the 80s and 90s. Uh, WWE, WCW, some of the Mid-South stuff. That's the kind of stuff that we are still into. So we don't watch a whole lot of modern stuff. But what what's sort of your go-to? Well, the guy was always a WWE, well, WWF fan growing up, obviously. You know, my favorite wrestler growing up when I was really young was Macho Man. Yeah, yeah can't go wrong with that. Uh, yeah. You know, I love Miss Elizabeth, but I love the suits. I love the ooh, yeah, and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, like, you know, him and Bret Hart were definitely my two favorites growing up because as I got a little bit older than I went into Bret Hart, I was still probably six, seven years old this time still. But then, you know, no one puts this bigger smile on my face than when Stone Cold comes out. Yeah, you know, yeah, when that oh, pops yeah. the glass shatters, still to this day, I'll always, my body's always, anytime there's a wrestling video on Instagram, I think I got about at least 20 people send me the same video every time. Yeah. It's, just, <laughs> it's always Stone Cold coming out, clearing house, and it's such a great time. I still watch WWE. It's nowhere near as good as, you know, they're going through a bit of a downturn right now. SmackDown yeah. is great with the Roman Reigns thing. I'm not sure if you guys watched the day one pay-per-view that was yeah, last night. Did he but have that COVID was COVID or something? He got COVID. Yeah, he wrestle, had right? last yeah. minute for COVID. So yeah. Brock Lesnar got moved to the fatal four-way. That was actually a hell of a good match. So I'm not going to lie. You know, if you guys haven't seen it yet, it was actually no. very enjoyable. 
It's like eight minutes long, but it was great for a pick uh, and file. Well, you know, and Brock lives in Saskatchewan the last bunch of years. So. Oh, is that right? Yeah, yeah. that's right. Yeah. yeah, yeah, he lives in Saskatchewan. And that's where my girlfriend's from, too, yeah. actually. Oh, no, nice. uh, yeah, I, he's, I love, he's close to Moose Jaw, I think, if not yeah. mistaken, yeah. or something like that. Yeah. yeah, he loves hunting. He loves hunting, and nobody knows who he is, so he loved yeah. it. Perfect. Um, I'm a big AEW guy, though. I think they're doing fantastic. I'm a big fan of what they're doing. I think they obviously have some things to work on, but I just love how different of a perspective and how they present it compared to WWE is. Yeah, right. Uh, well, and I probably watched a lot of Jim Cornette stuff too. And yeah, I'm a huge yeah. Cornette guy. I'm, Are you? I'm a Paul Heyman guy. I'm a Cornette guy. I, I listened to something to rest with for the past like, sure. five years since yeah. I came out with it. No, I was just going to ask yeah. you about the podcast. We're addicted to all the podcasts, all the Conrad Thompson podcasts. My wife pretty much cannot hear the word wrestle one more time in our house or she's going to lose her <laughs> fucking shit. But <laughs> the other day I was washing dishes and I was always listening to a podcast when I'm doing something because I get bored easy. So I'm like, watch dishes, listening to a wrestling podcast. And finally she just watched it. You know, we never talk anymore. Let's let's pause this. <laughs> No, uh, you, you, no. you don't want to, you don't want to have a conversation with me. You just don't want to listen to this. <laughs> um, I'm just the same way, man. I, I listen to all the podcasts. I, I like the Kurt Angle one with uh, mm. with uh, Conrad Thompson as well. That's pretty good. I've been on the Ric Flair one a little lately, but oh, me too. Okay. I just started listening to that one. Mm. He go, he gets off like because uh, it's Ric Flair. He just gets off, and all of a sudden he's down a rabbit hole, and you don't even know how he got there. But every now and yeah. then, there's a hilarious story in there because he's really done it all. So I was, That's right. yeah, I was telling Dan when I got here, I was actually listening to that podcast when I was walking over to Dan's house tonight. His dance house is where we record the podcast. And he was telling a story about Wahoo McDaniel. And he's like, yeah. And later in his career, he got really fat because all he would do is like he'd, he'd wrestle for an hour. Then he'd go shoot 18 holes of golf while he was just pounding booze the whole time. And then he would wrestle another match. But he wouldn't do much work in the ring because he just kept getting bigger and bigger. Then he got diabetes. And his doctor said he had to quit drinking. And so his solution was to double the insulin and keep drinking. <laughs> if, I can get, if I can get a career like that, my life will be complete. <laughs> oh, yeah. I get, uh, it's too good. Do you watch the Dark Side of the Ring documentaries? I, I, I must have seen every single one maybe three times. Man. Yeah, it's so it's good. So They're good. deadly. They're so, so deadly, man. Yeah. I, I got to say, I like, Sometimes them. literally, but... <laughs> 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 you know that, that UHF one was one of the weirdest ones I ever saw. I never had an idea the UWF man. That, that quote where he, what he says at the end is like, "He died doing what he loved." Scott Abrams died doing what he loves: snoring cocaine and being naked with strippers. <laughs> that, that makes two of us. <laughs> so good. Yeah. Uh, well, Andrew, those, those this guys was, do a great job. Like, yeah, yeah, awesome. This was a lot of fun, man. It was great getting to know you, and uh, I'll definitely uh, when things get back to normal, we'll come up to Toronto and have some drinks and talk some wrestling with you. Great having you on. We'll probably go check out that. Uh, what was it? Day, what's that pay per view called that you just recommended from yesterday or today before? Oh, day one. For day, yesterday. One. Day, yeah. one. day one. Day one. Yeah, 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 yeah. Go check out that match. But thanks for doing this, Andrew. This was awesome. A lot of fun. Everyone should check out. Obviously, Crystal Head Vodka. You're probably already aware of. And uh, Signal Hill Whiskey is delicious. Yes, thank you again. We're going to try not to finish off the whole bottle in the rest of the evening. It's <laughs> only 6.50. Yeah. Shit happens. No, no promises, no promises. Yeah. <laughs> Andrew Dodd, thanks for everything, man. Thanks thank for coming very, on. Thank you very much. Thank you very much.